0: Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hey guys, this is Russ and this is The Overlook. Today we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Jonathan Vendabella. Jonathan is a black male missing from Oakland, California. On May 3rd, 2019, Jonathan was last seen leaving his home in Oakland to go to a soccer tournament. He never made it to this tournament. Jonathan was 19 years old at the time. On May 4, 2019, multiple witnesses reported seeing a car on the westbound lane of the San Mateo Bridge Park. This car was a two-door silver Hyundai Accord, the same type of car that Jonathan was traveling in. Two witnesses say they saw a person sitting or standing on a guardrail overlooking the San Francisco Bay. Police arrived to the area, but no one was located near the car. We will later find out that this indeed was Jonathan's car. Unfortunately, police did not know this was the car of a missing person, and they did not search the car. Instead, they had it towed to a private lot. Jonathan had not been reported missing until May 7th. It appears that it was believed that he would be spending the night with some friends. But when family hadn't heard from him by the 7th, they knew something was wrong. A family member Jonathan and noticed the text messages weren't going through, as they both had iPhones and her messages were being sent in green bubbles instead of blue. Though a police report was filed on the 7th and Jonathan's car had been pounded on the 4th, the car was not recognized as Jonathan or connected to his case until May 9th. When the car was searched, they found Jonathan's passport, documents with his name on it showing ownership of the car and his duffel bags that he had packed to go to the soccer tournament. Originally, when police came across Jonathan's car, they searched the area for the driver, but no one searched the car and it was immediately taken to a private lot. Now, once everything's cleared away and we know for sure this is Jonathan's car, there seemed like there was a miscommunication between law enforcement, the family, and the private towing lot. It appears that the towing lot was told that the family did not want Jonathan's car back. But this was untrue. The family states that they were actually told by Chief Ann Kilpatrick, that the police would be handling towing fees but this never happened and by the time the family followed up with the tow company they found out that the car had already been sold police believe John then jumped off the bridge in an act of suicide his family is not so sure of this they say he was in a good place in his life and he wasn't under any particular duress at the time his brother Harrison is quoted as saying no sign of mental illness no sign of depression extremely happy he was close to my mom I have a little sister turning eight next month. She would just see my mom crying in a room, and she will ask, and she will say, "It's okay, Mom. Jonathan's gonna come home alive. It pays me to see something like that. Another thing Jonathan's family can't wrap their head around is that. Jonathan actually had a very busy week ahead of him, a week that he was very excited about. He was on his way to a soccer tournament, and he was happy with that he loved soccer and he had packed overnight bags with clothes for the tournament and a suit for the dance, as he was going to take his girlfriend to a dance afterwards. He had plans, and it seemed like he had every intention on carrying those plans out. Nothing about what he packed or how his car was found seemed to indicate that he had no plans to come back home. Or, at the very least, his packing seemed to indicate that he planned to make it to the tournament and at least to the dance. Now, with all that said, it seemed as if Jonathan showed none of the often picked up warning signs that a person is suicidal. Stereotypically, warning signs are withdrawing, canceling plans, giving away personal belongings, talking about feeling hopeless, stressed, or guilt. Sometimes people who were suicidal will often bring up that they feel that they have no reason to live or they'll start conversations about how life will probably be better without them. Sometimes people even give impromptu goodbyes and start giving away personal items. But none of this happened with Jonathan. Now, I do want to take a moment to address some of the assumptions around suicide as a sidebar. While many individuals who attempted or succeed in suicidal plans do show these warning signs, it's not always as clear cut. It's not always easy to pick up on when a loved one is suicidal. Sometimes none of the affirmation warning signs make an appearance at all. Sometimes these individuals, they seem very happy on the outside and they'll have a bunch of things going on, a bunch of great things going for them while still struggling internally. Another falsehood about suicide is that when we are close to people, we will just know that something isn't right. But unfortunately, this isn't always the case. While there are many who are suicidal and they have plans and they show warning signs and they have very identifiable stresses going on in their life, there are still those who keep their depression to themselves, who keep what they're struggling with themselves. And even beyond that, there are some who make the decision to commit suicide just hours and sometimes just minutes before the act. In an article titled Suicide Often Not Preceded by Warnings, Dr. Miller states many people never let on what they're feeling or planning. The paradox is that the people who are most intent on committing suicide know that they have to keep their plans to themselves if they're going to carry out the act. One of my favorite quotes from the same article comes at the very end. It states, it may be natural to ask, what did I miss? But we should remind ourselves what the experts say. This kind of death defies predictions. Now, I wanted to just throw that tidbit out there. I to throw my support to the theory of suicide, but I figured it was very important to get this out while we're talking about a case where the idea of suicide is very prevalent because there are a lot of misconceptions around suicide. When I was looking at this case, I saw a lot of people in the comments making certain suggestions and assumptions that were really off base for how suicide typically works according to the science that we have about the topic. So I thought it was important to throw that out there to the community for knowledge's sake, not necessarily to say this is the theory I believe in, but just a reminder to the community at large about the information that we currently have on suicide and what studies currently show. Now, back to Jonathan's case. His family feels that the police never took this case as seriously as they should. While searches have been done for Jonathan's body in the water, these searches weren't conducted for days after he went missing. For days after his car was found on the side of the road. Yes, they held press conferences, but these weren't held in a timely manner. And with so many balls dropped, we have little to no clues. We have almost no evidence. The only thing we seem to know for sure is that Jonathan left on the 3rd. His car is reported by many on the side of a bridge on the 4th, and that he never made it to his soccer tournament. Family could not reach him by the 7th, and since he disappeared, he has not accessed his phone or bank accounts. Now, the family has every right to be concerned with how the Oakland PD has handled this case. There has been constant instances of subpar work being done in efforts to find Jonathan. For one, we had the fact that multiple calls were made to 911 about a pull-over car with someone either standing on the bridge, overlooking the water on the bridge, or sitting on the railing looking into the bay. But even with those type of concerning calls, it was 20 minutes before police arrived. And then on top of that, there's no record of them checking anything besides the West Bay lane once they got there. And even then, that check was only a visual check done by the police there. The police will later go on to say they had has surveillance that showed that no one walked off the bridge in either direction that day. However, it's later found that this surveillance is actually very limited and not all the cameras on the bridge were even recording the footage. Next, we find that when police actually found the car, again, they didn't search the car. In fact, they immediately had it impounded and they had this case closed a little over an hour after arriving to the scene. Now, I will say the police, they had no idea this was a case of a missing person. However, they do know that they were called because there was a person standing or sitting on the railing overlooking the bay. And yet when they got there, no persons with the car. For many people that have come across the case, they don't understand why they didn't put a sense of urgency in the police's efforts when looking for the owner of this car and calling in to say, hey, we have someone. It looks, sounds like it was a possible suicidal call. The person's not here. What more do we need? Hey, should we have someone go look in the water? And like I said earlier, a missing persons report was filed on the 7th, but we find out it actually took this report two days to be transferred to the missing persons unit. So now once it was finally transferred, they were able to connect Jonathan's disappearance to the car that had been impounded. But what we find out is that even though they connected the car to Jonathan, they still had not connected this car to the 911 calls that were made about the person sitting on the railing of the bridge. And you want to know why they didn't make that connection right away? Because the officers that reported the incident wrote it down in their logs as problem change from traffic hazard to storage. So the actual officers did not put in the information that the whole reason they came to check on this car was because of those 911 calls concerned about a person sitting on the rail. Now, on May 13th, an aerial search was conducted around the bridge. A marine unit searched the area under the bridge on the 14th. However, Jonathan had been missing for over 10 days at this point. The police wanted to rule this a suicide, but the truth of the matter is, a thorough investigation was never really done. To conduct an aerial search over water, even a marine unit search under the bridge, 10 days after a person's gone missing and there's a belief that they may be in the water, the chances of finding any evidence is very low. I mean, we've seen cases where we have a search team, a dive team, all of that out in the water mere hours later, and they find nothing. Because water currents, all those things can move very fast. A person can disappear in the water at point A and not be found for months or years. And when they are found, they're all the way at point Z. So while, yes, we can say that an aerial search was done and a search by marine units were done, it was done so late that it almost feels a bit theatrical. Now, another reason the family was skeptical about the suicide theory was because Jonathan had actually had a near-death situation just a few months prior to terrify him. While visiting Sierra Leone in December of 2018, he contacted malaria and was at a hospital where staff was on strike. It was touch and go there for a while, and his family explains how fearful Jonathan was throughout the whole thing. They say that this was not somebody that was looking to stare death in the eye willingly. But even more than that, the fact of the matter is there is no physical evidence of suicide. Nobody has been found. And in fact, no one actually claimed to have seen him jump in the water. People saw his call there, people saw him standing there or sitting on the railing, but none of the calls have actually said that he jumped. Then to add to the weirdness, we find out those 911 calls were purged from the system and none of the callers were ever pursued about what they saw. There was no follow-up with them. There was no mass alert to the media or community about this disappearance for weeks after the fact. In fact, the first Oakland PD The first time Oaken PD put forth any effort to social media outreach was about six weeks after Jonathan disappeared. Now, in September of 2019, the police began doing press conferences with the family, alerting the public of Jonathan's disappearance. And while this is a step in the right direction, a lot of people following the case wondered if this was kind of a performative process. This joint effort only happened after the family spent months coming to police commission meetings demanding action. Now, Deputy Chief Oliver Cunningham was originally over the investigation, and during a press conference, he implied that Jonathan may have disappeared on his own and could possibly be in Europe playing soccer. Now, keep in mind, there's no evidence at all to support this, and no one seems to know where this random idea even came from, because at this time, Jonathan's passport had already been found in the car, in the very car that the police impounded. And this was something that was well known by both the family and the police at the time. This was the type of attitudes the family had to deal with while trying to get the Oakland PD to handle this case with seriousness. Now, Deputy Chief Cunningham eventually retired and Acting Deputy Chief Lindsey stepped into the role and treated this case with a bit of urgency at one point in time. When Lindsey came in, he was able to get phone information and bring that into the case. But the family seemed to have gone through another repeated case of performative action by the police, as they were doing things like canvassing the area, but they were canvassing an area that involved water, that involved a major highway, eight months after Jonathan disappeared. Then after weeks of silence, the family was asked to do another press conference for the anniversary of Jonathan's disappearance. But they felt like the police were doing nothing to actually help the real investigation, and they were just concerned with making it look like they were doing efforts. For example, in an article by the Hyphenated Republic, it is reported that the Oakland PD told the family that, that they were inviting media sources to a press conference in January in hopes of bringing more awareness to the case. So of course, the family came, but. When the family got there, they were told, oh, the media was actually relocated to cover another vigil for another case. At this point, John and his family just wants closure. They are aware of the worst case scenario, and they're willing to accept it. But they want a real investigation and evidence. They want peace of knowing where their loved one is and what happened. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of buzz on social media regarding this case you'll see flyers posted and threads on different websites but it's mostly just people sending condolences and prayers there seems to also be some confusion about what exactly is going on in this case when i was searching the web i saw comments on places like youtube and various true crime forums where people were stating things like wait no guys i think jonathan's been found and you'll also see comments where people are questioning wait Is he not in Europe? I thought I heard somewhere that he was found somewhere in Europe playing soccer. And these questions no doubt come from unfounded comments made at the press conference by former Deputy Cunningham, even though they were untrue, unfounded, and make no logical sense. This, unfortunately, is one of the few cases where I really haven't come across speculations. Yes, we do have people who wonder if suicide was the case, but it's really just more of a single question and not really a theory. And it seems like a reasonable question, given the circumstances. However, we have so little clues and so much was done with such delay and lack of urgency that I understand why the family still has questions. I mean, the ball was dropped. The ball was dropped multiple times. And honestly, I think for many of us, it doesn't even seem like the ball was dropped out of some type of cover-up or malicious intent. I think it's far worse than that, because it seems like the ball was dropped out of pure incompetence which I personally think is scarier. We want Jonathan's family to have peace. We want them to have peace of knowing where their loved one is. What happened to him? Is he coming back? Why hasn't he been back? I ask that you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jonathan Benabillia that you reach out to the Oakland Police Department at 510-238-3641. That's 510-238-3641 as always i will have pictures up on my instagram that's the overlook underscore podcast and you'll be able to see pictures of jonathan and i'll also make sure i'll put up the police department's number because you have tips and you want to call in unfortunately that is all that i have on this case as always stay safe stay vigilant and i will have a new episode for you guys next sunday Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it